0: Okay. Good evening. We're continuing the Talmud series. We are in Masechet Avodah Zarah, and last week we ended with uh, how grateful we have to be for the kingdom, for the authorities in every place, every place that we live. That if they would go on a strike, even for one hour, it would be a disaster. You know. I mean, so everyone now, the people who don't care really about being righteous, they don't care about the law of God. At least they worry and they're afraid of the authorities. Uh, if the authorities wouldn't be around, who knows where it will end? And I gave a description of how quick the world can de- can be destroyed. From one thing leads to another, a chain of a chain of reactions. So this is where we ended last week. We still in maseret avodah zarah. Uh, the Gemara says that uh, that uh, Amar ben Levi. What is it that the Torah in Dvarim Dvarim chapter seven, say, "Asher that I'm ordering you today to do, today to do, and not tomorrow, today to do but not to receive the reward today, which means everything you do, you ended up getting the, re- the reward in the afterlife when you move to the next world. And we spoke about it also last week. Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani says in the name of Rabbi Yonatan, everyone who does a mitzvah in this world is waiting for him to testify for him in the next world. And if God forbid he make a sin, that sin will testify against him when he comes to his trial. Uh, There's few places where we can learn it from, but we can also learn it from Joseph. Joseph, he went to Egypt. The wife of Potiphar, she was uh, seducing him and trying in any way to make him make a sin with her. And he, and the Torah say he did not want to touch her because if he would touch her here, she would be tied to him in the next world. And this is, and also I believe it appears in Masechet Zotay, in the third page, description about it. This is uh, from Genesis 39, the whole story with Joseph and the wife of Potiphar, which was one, one of the most beautiful women ever lived. So this is it. Uh, the Gemara continue, Ze sefer toldot Adam. This is the book of the, uh, of the genealogy of, of Adam. Uh, the the Gemara say, what kind of book he had? Did he have a book? What does it mean? Zeh sefer toldot Adam. This is the book of Adam. Uh, What's the secret here? Hashem, God, told him, all the generations that are going to come from him, each generation and generation, the the positive things, the scholars, the, the rabbis, uh, all the people who comes out of him, he saw until he arrived to the generation of Rabbi Akiva. When he saw the Rabbi Akiva was such a legendary person, such an important rabbi, and he was very impressed and happy from the, his knowledge in Torah. But then when he saw his end, how the Romans killed him in such a cold death, so he, he became very upset. And, uh, you know... Uh, He couldn't understand how somebody like this had such a difficult end. Uh, The same thing happened to Moshe Rabbeinu, that he was very surprised that he saw in his vision that this was the end of Rabbi Akiva, but Hashem told him that the righteous people are judged very strictly, and even for minor things that doesn't look so important, but in their level it's very high, Because there's really nothing else to judge them on. Everything else is great with them, so the the highlight is on the little minor mistakes or sins that they do here and there. So the sins they go express directly to heaven. They don't have to go through hell, or they don't have to go through reincarnations and all kinds of corrections in the afterlife. As God is cleaning the file right here while they're still alive, and that's why the, the, the punishment of those minor things is a, is a great punishment. Mm-hmm. The Gemara says, "En ben David ba the Messiah cannot come all guf, until all the souls will end from the goof." What does it mean? Goof, goof in in simple Hebrew goof means a body, but that's not what it means here. There's a place in heaven that called Goof, and all the souls of all the people who are not complete yet, did not finish the correction, they make sins. they have pending sins against them, they have to be reincarnated and God has to find the right atmosphere and the right time where to send them, to what family, to what parents, sometimes he has to wait a year or two until uh, uh, one person marry another girl, And until they nine more months until they have kids and then he can send that soul. So sometimes the soul is on hold. Where is it going to be on hold? In this place called goof. So until there are still souls there pending, that there's there's really no judgment with them yet, because they still need to come and correct. So the Messiah is not gonna be able to come. What what's gonna be? Comes, what's gonna be with these people? In one end they're wicked, and on one hand they're also righteous because they have good things about them. To ignore the good things that they did, it's not justice. To let them go with the sins that they made is also not justice. So some people are destroyed eternally. So then with them there's no problem, the Messiah comes anyway, one way or the other they are destroyed. Some people are already saved, they're good, they're in a very good position, so for them it's also It's very easy to know what to do with them, but the half and half people, or the people who still have to come and correct, if the Messiah comes now and they're still there and they did not have the chance, what are you going to do with them now? Where are you going to correct them? Because everything in the world is going to change, no more even inclination, no more birth, no more giving birth. Right now, babies that are born in the world, that means they came for another chance to correct their soul. But if they're not going to, there's not going to be any more birth, no more correction, because the Messiah already came, there's no more free choice like before, no more even inclination like we have now. So what's the point of keeping them there? There's really nothing to do with them. So therefore, it will be, obviously, this is why we say that now there's not that much time left. Why there's not that much time left? Perhaps it's the last chance to be reincarnated maybe it's the last chance ever that, uh, that, that we are here, we won't have another chance, because now, when a person finishes life, Hashem has to make a final decision what to do with him, to make him lose his eternity, or to give it to him. If he wants to give it to him, and he still has things to correct, he sends him a lot of suffering now. We see a lot of problems in the world, so, so many people are suffering. Or, you know, He's, uh, God forbid he's giving up on him and then he pays him a lot and he makes billions and millions or whatever and in the end he's finished but the ones who are there still have to come so we'll see basically you know, this is uh, the Gemara in Maseret Avodah Zarah then the Gemara continues the Gemara says like this when Hashem created the world he made a condition if the nation of Israel will accept the Torah which means accept and keep then it's good if not, I don't need this world for So I'm telling you right now, I'm making the law of the creation, but it's subject to the acceptance of the Torah by the Jews. They won't accept it, then there's no point of keeping the world alive. Uh, the Gemara says like this. Tanura banan, Anish'a You came to a rabbi and asked him a question about something, and he said impure, cannot use it. Don't run to find another rabbi, hopefully he will say pure. Right? Why? How can it be? Because the many things in the Torah are subject to interpretation according to this this thing. Sometimes it's a question, sometimes it's disagreement, sometimes the, the it's a gray area. Not it's not black and white like math, two plus two, it's four, and everybody will answer the same answer. This is very large knowledge and it's subject to the opinion of the poskim, and sometimes one can bring a verse that, to prove that this is permitted, and someone can show you that it's not permitted. So uh, why the, wh- what's the solution? The Torah says that when it comes to determine the law, it's like you know, writing a book like Shulchan Aruch, the book of law, then you follow the majority and you write, what's the majority? A majority in quality, not quantity. And that's it, but when a person has doubts, he has to have one rabbi, not two, not five, not ten. One rabbi, you rely on him, that he knows, he knows a lot of Torah. Any question you ask, he know the answer. And that's it. You, once, whatever he tells you, you have to accept that this is the order of God, this is what God wrote in the Torah. Ase make yourself, nominate a rabbi for yourself, and clarify all the doubts. Do not get confused. Now, what happens if you ask two? Most of the time, obviously 90-95% of the time, they will give you the same answer. But some questions are subject to custom, are subject to who you are. Your rabbi who knows you, the rabbi who knows you, can give you the right answer. The rabbi who doesn't know you may give you the the answer, like the book, but he doesn't know who you are. i give you an example. If a person calls and asks a question, about uh, if he can use chalav israel or not. I mean, uh, chalav akum or not. Can I use uh, not chalav israel or not? Usually, every rabbi will tell you, no, you have to use chalav israel. But you don't know. Maybe this, is, this person is the first week that he's keeping mitzvot. He's just starting. He's not in a level to understand it. It will be too difficult for him. Then you may lose him for the long run, because he's going to see too many little things, Eventually, he's going to say, you know what? It's too much for me. And uh, I've I've once seen a guy that started to keep Shabbat, putting making big mitzvot. And people drove him crazy with many things. Everything is important, but you have to use common sense. And every time he came out of the bathroom, did you make a bracha? Did you say bracha, this, that, that? Every two minutes, something with him. It was very difficult for his level. And then he said to me, listen, I know it's the truth. But it's too difficult for me. I can't live like this. And he left everything. So today is Mechallel Shabbat. He ended up marrying a Goyadis This guy. Why is it? Because people did not use common sense with him. You gotta be clever. That's why to be a rabbi is not only to know the law. It's not like a doctor. A doctor tells you this medicine and that's it. There's no other option. This is the medicine for your problem. You know, even if it's different company, but it's the same medicine, the same drug. But over here, you ha- it's more like a psychologist. You have to know the mind of the person. You have to know his level. That's why sometimes people are asking me questions about career, about dropping out of college, about this and that. And I don't know who they are. They're just writing to me an email. I say to them, go to your local rabbi who knows you to answer this question. I know the general answer. The general answer to do this or to do that, I know. But who, who is this guy? How do you know? You know his parents, you know his situation in the house. You know what's going to happen because he's dropping or not. There's all kinds of things to think about. So this is it. So you got to make yourself one rabbi that you ask him your question. Not every day you look in your phone book, who who today I'm going to ask. For this kind of questions, that rabbi is lenient. So let me call him. For that kind of question, that rabbi is good. For that kind of question, no, it doesn't work that way. You understand? You have to have one, and that's it. This is this Gemara, in Masechet Avodah Zarah, speaking about it. Someone asked the Chacham, and he told him Tameh, impure. Lo al le Chacham Do not run to search someone to make it kosher for you, or to make it allowed. Uh, or the other way around. If someone say, uh, you know, if someone say, that, but something is uh, not allowed, don't look for someone to say it's allowed, impure, not in, uh, pure allowed, not allowed, same idea. Uh, what happens if you ask a question in general and two, two rabbis are sitting, one say allowed, one say not allowed, at the same time. Uh, when you ask the question, like in yeshiva or in a synagogue, you know, uh, so who is the one who you have to listen to, the one who is greater than the other one in wisdom and in uh, Minyan. In that case, Minyan means number. What number? means years. Two of, both of them know Torah, they learn. But who is considered bigger? This is considered a bigger authority than him. He learns more years Torah, he's older. He's 70, he's 40. Both of them learn more their life. Most likely, the one that's 70 is in a higher, higher level, right? In that case, you're going to go by him. Uh, then, if both of them are the same, two seventy, two twin brothers, both of them learn all their life Torah, both of them know everything. What do you do in that case? So it's always better to go by the strict opinion. Like this for sure it didn't make a sin. You know? Yeah, that's a strict opinion. God, look, there's w allowed, not allowed. I went with the more difficult one. More than that I can do. Right? Especially especially when it comes to a question that the punishment for that is karet. which means is a question in Shabbat if it's allowed or not, one say it's yes, allowed, one say no, it's not allowed. If the one who says it's not allowed is right, then what happened? You listen to the lenient opinion and you're actually making a violation. not that you are subject to a punishment, don't get me wrong. Because in reality, when you ask a big hacham in the Torah, whatever the Torah says, it tells you to do, that's it. But still, if you show Hashem, look, I didn't know what to do, I went with the strict side, you're always clean, you're safe. Uh, but if it's, this is only when it comes to questions in Torah halachot, which means it's direct from the Torah. But what happens if it's a question about the rabbinical law? A question about rabbinical law, uh, you know, Hanukkah, candles, uh, Mishloach Manot, Purim, this is all rabbinical laws. Uh, there's one opinion that would cost you $50 and one opinion that would cost you $20. It's rabbinical law. He say like this, he say like this, it's a manner of saving money, and you're not exactly a rich guy. Then you're allowed to go with a lenient opinion because it's a rabbinical law. It's not directly from the Torah, it's rabbinical law. I don't want people to get the wrong impression. Rabbinical law is also from the Torah. So why we have permission to be more lenient in rabbinical law? Because the rabbis, Hashem gave them the authority that every decree that they make, we must listen to them. And it's count exactly like God made it. And the same rabbis told us that when you have a doubt in one of our rabbinical laws one of our rabbinical laws you have permission to go to the lenient side. If they would say no you would still have to consider it to the strict side always, it wouldn't make a difference. We would have to listen to them, to the strict side just like it's come from the Torah but Baruch Hashem, they wanted uh, us to be able to do it according to the lenient opinion that's why in rabbinical law this is the rule. You go to the lenient side. The Gemara, in a different subject, still in Massechet Avodah Zarah, the Gemara says like this: there was a Caesar that was hating Jews, anti-Semite, de'ava sani and, the Semite, and uh, he wanted to get rid of the he wanted to get rid of the Jews, he wanted to get rid of the Jews, but he has to do it in a politically correct way even the anti-Semites that sits in the Congress or in the governments in any country in the world, they don't just come and say, hey, we got to kill the Jews, we got to get rid of them. They do it in a way that it would look more democratic, more, uh, more clean, not as racist, as much as they can. Of course, sometimes there's no, way, no other way. But, so he wants to get rid of them. So he calls all his advisors, the Romans, now, remember, the Romans are controlling Israel. We're talking more than 2,000 years ago here. So he's saying, a person that has anemic in his, uh, in his leg, what do you call when a person has a growth that the blood does not circulate over there, and then eventually they have to cut the leg? What do you call it in English? clot, so clot yeah, blood clot. clot. Blood clot? Yeah, it could be blood clot. could be an embolism, but it didn't break off. Yeah, blood clot. Okay, as long as we get the idea. I say, a person has this, what, are we, what should we do? Should we keep him alive as much as we can until he dies, because it, it spreads to the rest of the body? Or right away, we cut the leg, and then he's going to be a handicap for the rest of his life? Yeah, so what, what should we do? Of course, if there's no solution today, what do they do? They cut the leg, right? You know. So he asked them. So everybody says, "It's uh, all the advisers are sitting over there." They told him, Of course, you gotta cut it. At least he lived, then he die, right? Amar lao. There was one guy over there. His name was Ktia Bar Shalom. That was his name. This guy. It says. I got the point, I know what you're asking. You want to know, you, have, you occupy the whole world, you, the Romans, you know? You occupy the whole world, and the whole world is paying you taxes, they're all under your control, and we have nothing personal against them. You just wanted to be the boss. You don't, you don't have decrees to destroy them, you have nothing against these nations. Now you have this small nation here in Jerusalem, that you feel that it's like a growth in the in the body somewhere, a little spot in the body that you must get rid of. So you're thinking, what's better to kill them, which means to cut the leg, and the entire kingdom will be perfect without them, or you know to keep them and slowly, slowly they spread to the rest of the world and they'll kill you. This is what you want, right? So everyone told you, of course, cut it because they got the point. They also want to get rid of them. Right? It's starting to become now relevant here in America. You hear more and more of this. So he said to him, but it's better to keep it and keep the body complete. He says why? Because then the whole world would say, you know, every country occupied they could control them right away. With this tiny nation, they were so afraid of them, they had to kill them. It will be always memorized that they were better than you, that's why you killed them. But if you keep them, that's it, it's all perfect. And he says to them, "For my knowledge, the world will not remain without them. The world needs them. Without them, the world cannot go on, this guy told him. So he told him, the king, I like your answer and I accept it, but you have to know we have a rule here. Since you embarrass me in front of everyone, you told me this, and I have to get rid of you. So I accept your answers, but I'm going to kill you. And they throw him to a house. They used to kill them by taking shovels with sand, and they throw the sands. They have masks, of course, they cover their nose and their mouth, and they throw the sands all over. And uh, people that they want to kill, <laughs> they, they breathe the sand and they die after a while. That's it, it kills them. Cannot breathe. They choke. So, on the way there, there was one fancy lady there standing. And, you know, she wanted to give him a message, but she doesn't want to get killed as, as well. They're very cool, these Romans. So, she started to sing a story. She said, How bad is a boat who crossed the ocean? With full of merchandise, and he gets to the port, and they just realize they forgot to bring money to pay the duty. What a shame it is! So you got the point. Who understand what's the point? The point is you are saving the entire nation of Israel, and you're going to die as a non-Jew. Could it be better shame than this? At least you're circumcised yourself. It means to pay the duty. At least you were circumcised, you go to where they go. Now what? You're going to die as a righteous goy. But you had an opportunity, at least if you're circumcised, no, they kill you one way or the other. So at least for the five minutes that they go, before, until they kill you, you become a Jew and you go to the world of the Jews. He got the point. He took advantage on a minute that he could. He took a piece of rock and he made himself a circumcision and he said, I paid my duty. I pay my meches, my tax. And, uh, you know, and they took him and they killed him. And before he died, he screamed, all my wealth, all my wealth, has to go to Rabbi Akiva and his friends, and his students, the rabbis. They, at that moment, they made an announcement in heaven Ktiah bar shalom, this goi ktiab, Bar lichayahulama is welcome to life of eternity. Uh, Rabbi, the president of Israel, started to cry. He was crying. He said, we have to kill ourselves all our life. He was 120 years old. We have to kill ourselves all our life. Torah, mitzvot, this, working on our personality, tzedakah, this, so many things, problems, suffering, to maybe make it there. And somebody make it in an hour there. Yes, kone olamo b'sha'ahat. In one hour, he got a ticket to the life of eternity, this guy. Now, of course, his name Ktia Bar-Shalom, it's really not his original name. Ktia means to cut. Shalom means peace. I think this is the name, the title that they gave him after he gave the answer, not to cut. So they wanted to remember him as a name that is related to the subject, so they call it Ktia Bar Shalom. This is it. This is a story for us. We learn a lot from this story. At least he was smart, this one. I imagine it will kill him the way it is. What did it help him? Tanura banan. When they caught Rabbi Eliezer ben Parta and Rabbi Hanina ben Tardion, the Romans caught them. Rabbi Eliezer ben Parta said to Rabbi Hanina ben Tardion, how lucky you are that they caught you for one violation. And how bad is by me that they caught me for five violations. So... Rabbi Hanina ben Tardian told him, no, you are the lucky one. You got caught for five things, but they're soon letting you go. It's not such a big thing. I got caught for one thing, and I'm not going to get saved. You learned Torah and did kindness, helped so many people, but I only learned Torah. I don't have the other part to get saved. G'milut chasadim. This is what the Gemara says, that when the days that the Mashiach come, it's going to be a disaster in the world, and so many billions of people will die, and horrible situation in the world, it will be a big miracle to survive, big miracle. So what's going to be the insurance policy? Torah and Gemilut chasadim. A person learns every day Torah and does a lot of kindness for others, helping, 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 helping. Then, when the time comes, that will save him. What happens if he only learns Torah? Not enough. Even though it's the most important thing, not enough. If he only a good person who bring guests and help the poor and do all kinds of good things, but not learning. Rabbi, it's hard for me to learn. It's hard for me to come to the Shi'ur. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. So what's happened? It's not going to help him. It's not going to help him. Now you should know also one thing, but when a person hear, when a person learns with a rabbi, and he hears his original voice, it's much higher than when he hears it in a recording, or over the phone. Well, if he cannot come to the lecture, he better gets the recording, at least to get the knowledge. But the holiness of learning Torah, or even the same thing with a prayer, for instance, if a person hears a blessing over the phone, he speaks to his friend, and his friend says, Baruch Atashem, it's not allowed to answer Amen on the phone. But if he's standing next to him, he must answer Amen. Must, not an option. But if it's on the phone, it's not allowed. Or if you hear Kaddish on the phone, not allowed to answer. Because you don't really hear the real voice. It's something, the electronic, that takes the electric and translates it into voice. It's an illusion. You don't really hear the right voice. You have to know that the voice, which is when you hear a lecture live, is much higher than when you hear it in a recording. Today, the internet, we, we arrive to who knows how many people, but many of them are wise guys. They used to come to the lecture every week. Now they have it on the internet, they don't need to bother. So I have news for them. The actual coming to the lecture, the walking or the driving, it's called Sechar Same thing going to the shul, a shul that is far, gives you much bigger reward than the one who's right next door. So that's called Sechar the reward of going there. And then, of course, returning. And the actual lecture is considered learning Torah in a higher level. So one way or the other, you know, plus there's another reason. You give the speaker better, uh, a better uh, feeling to be able to do better in a lecture. Why? The more people come, the better the you get the better out of the speaker. Why? If the speaker speaks to the camera, it's not the same when he speaks to a thousand people. Speak alone to a camera. Hey, it's very boring for him. So for him, it's like reading from a book, hoping it's going to get over. The more people he has, the more excited he gets. The more excited he gets, he has more Siat HaDishmaya. Plus, there's another thing here, that the speakers always directed from Shamaim what to speak about for the ears of the listeners, if the speakers are worthy. If the worthy and Hashem is interested that they will be spreading his Torah, then he helps them to direct, to speak, what the people needs to hear about. It doesn't matter, you prepare one topic, and Hashem is twisting you to the topic he wants the people to hear. If Hashem is not interested for you to be a speaker, you want to do it, but he's not interested, then it doesn't matter anyway you're not making any positive things. So it doesn't matter. You can speak about this, about that. doesn't matter. But it's really the merit of the listeners. Merit of the listeners who makes the lecture better or not. So he said to him, you learned Torah and did kindness, you're going to get saved now getting out of this prison. I only learn Torah. I'm going to end it up here. And this is for us to understand. Then the Gemara continue. The Gemara says like this, Someone who only learn Torah, nothing else, just learn Torah. It's similar to someone who doesn't believe in God. <laughs> Did you ever hear such a thing before? Someone now, what are you doing, Mr. Moshe? I don't leave the book. All day I learn Torah. I'm going to the yeshiva early in the morning. I leave late at night, only learn Torah, 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 all my life. Oh, you're like the guy from the Knesset who declare he doesn't believe in God. These wicked guys. Yeah, you're embarrassing me like this? I said, no, I don't. I'm not embarrassing you. I just read to you the Gemara in Masechet Avodah Zara. The Gemara says like this, In Divrei Yamim, the book Divrei Yamim in the Tanakh, chapter 15, this is what it says, "'Ve yamim rabim le'lo Elohei emet, Kohen Torah.'" There's days to the nation of Israel without a real God, without a teacher, without the Torah. The Gemara say, what does it mean without a real God? Because they only learn Torah and they are not doing kindness. They don't use what they learn in the Torah practically. He learns that to have guests in your house is very important, but he doesn't have time for guests, because he's busy all the time. So he never has guests. He learned that his mitzvah to help the poor, or the widow, or whatever, but he never did it once in his life. He learned to teach Torah to others is very important, is what Hashem wants, but he doesn't have time, because he's busy learning. So basically, he's not offering services to anyone. Nothing. You understand? So this is what we're talking here about. So the Gemara says, uh, the Gemara says like this. Now, jumping from one subject to another, a person is not supposed to give tzedakah charity to a fund unless if the one who is in charge of it is a talmid Chacham, someone who knows the law, knows Torah, he knows what's considered stealing, what's not stealing, what's allowed, what's not allowed, how to use, what to use, what to do to benefit, benefit the giver more with the money. If you give it to a person, it could be religious, but he doesn't know anything. Who knows what he does with that? He uses your money for something he thinks is a mitzvah, in the end, it's nothing. If you're lucky, it's nothing. Something can be seen. For instance, you give it to the gabay of a shul, And he took the money and made a Chanukah party for boys and girls mixed. He didn't think it's a big deal. What happened with your money? Created sins. Didn't do any mitzvah, nothing. Or many other examples like this. (laughs) Rabbi Chanina ben Tardion says, it says like this, one time, uh, it says like this, "Imoni It says like this, that he has to be someone very reliable that doesn't do anything wrong from the money that he gets into the funds. The Gemara says that there was a case that uh, the money of Purim got mixed with the money of Tzedakah, which means uh, he put some money to give uh, Tzedakah and some money you know, he has some of his own money and some money of pouring that he wanted to give tzedakah to got mixed. And he didn't know which money is what. He put it in one bag or in one bag and, and he got confused, they got mixed. So he didn't know what to do, so he gave everything to tzedakah. Why? Since I don't know, I'll give less. These people gave money to give it to the poor people. And in the end I didn't use it and I keep it or whatever. You know what? I'm not playing games. Whatever, here for sure. I cover myself. I give everything. So I lose. I don't lose. You never lose, of course. But this is to show you how careful a person has to be with this. Uh, the Gemara says like this. Rabbi Hanina Ben Tardion, they told him, the Romans told him, why you, le- why you taught Torah? Why you learn and teach Torah? Didn't you hear that we made a decree, a law in hearing that the Romans were not allowed to teach and learn Torah? It's against the law. He says, I, I did as my creator ordered me. Right away, they say, oh yeah, let's see if he's going to save you from burning you. Take him to burn him. And take his wife also with him to burn him, that she didn't give him the right advice not to learn and teach Torah. Take her with him. And take his daughter and put her in a prostitution home. Put her with all the prostitutes, all the Roman prostitutes. Put her as a prisoner and let her be a prostitute over there. So the Gemara says, uh, What was the punish? Why, why did he get such a punishment? Oh, such a high-level person, because he had one sin that he was making. He was saying the name of Hashem, be Otav. Like a person wants to say Hashem, so he said the name, they spell it, Yud, and then he say Hey and then he says vav, and then he say hey, but he doesn't say something in between. He just say yud, and right after that, the next letter, and he says, oh, the, name, the other name of Hashem. So he say it. So that's already a violation of one of the Ten Commandments. That's it. That was enough already to have such an end. Why? The Ten Commandments says, do not carry the name of Hashem. And it's, it's, a, it's a large range of instructions. What does it mean to carry the name of Hashem? To swear on a false testimony, when you speak to your friend on the street. There's different levels. Of course, we are not talking now. He went and all day said the name of Hashem for no reason. You know? But that was enough to his level already. The Gemara says, there's a question if somebody that says the name of Hashem like this, if he has a share to the world to come. That's how bad it is because people don't really understand today how important it is, the name of Hashem. They think, ah, in Israel there are many very, very, very foolish and ignorant people who write in a newspaper, and they write the name of Hashem as a nickname to some basketball player, or to some uh, pianist. They call him the God, and they really write it in Hebrew, of the basketball, or of this. You know, and then they have no idea what punishments they're going to get for every time they write it. Poor, foolish people. Foolishness costs a lot of money sometimes. And here it's much more than money. So, uh, the Gemara says, but when a person wants to teach and people ask him how you spell it and he want to answer, it's not that he's enjoying now to, to disrespect God or whatever the case is. So... The Gemara say that, uh, the, well, to, to teach you are to teach, just to do whatever, when no reason, fine. But it says that he did it in public and in front of people, and that was enough already. And they say like this, why his wife got punished? Because she was there, and she didn't stop him. She knew he was doing something wrong. Someone who can stop a Jew from making a sin, and he can care less, is guilty 100% like the sinner. This is uh, to answer a very sensitive question that people ask all the time, why righteous people got killed with the wicked people in the Holocaust? If it was only the wicked people and all the important rabbis, all of them got saved, People would see right away, it was a punishment. But when they see religious, not religious everyone died in the end. So what's going on? So the answer is the religious saw the non-religious, their cousin, their neighbors, their friends, whatever, they do whatever they want for many, many years, and nobody did say anything. Of course, it bothered them. No Jew enjoyed to see other Jews living like Goim. But there's one thing, if it bothers you, or if you're going to do something about it. I assure you, I assure you, that if every religious person would accept on himself to do everything to stop three Jews from making sins, that's it. And of course, it's no 100% success. And everyone will be able to save one, not three, one out of the three that he wanted. Within a year, everyone will be religious. And those who won't become religious, one way or the other, they'll disappear from the face of the earth. So what's the difference? But at least every potential Baal tshuva that is walking in the street right now, right away you save. Showing what it is, this, that. Right away he wakes up. Right? Uh, and now, why his daughter? Listen how long the Gemara speak about his story. Why? To speak gossip about, about, about him? Is allowed to speak Lashon Hara? No. To teach for generations. To learn from the greatest people ever live, What was their end for one sin, and to teach us that we are much, much, much lower than them, to teach us how strict is the judgment. Why do you think the Gemara brought this story? It's a big embarrassment for this family that they speak about them like this. Think about it. I write about the biggest rabbi in the world, him and his wife and his daughter, that that's what the Arabs did to them in, who knows, in Iran, whatever. It's a big embarrassment for them. But why why the Gemara writes it? It's worth it for the Gemara that another million Jews over the years in the future will learn Musar from this for their merit. Because thanks to them, many people will do the right thing. So the Gemara says, why his daughter went to the prostitution house? Okay, the wife we understood, she didn't stop him. But why the daughter went? The Gemara says one time his daughter was walking in the street in front of the Roman generals with her uniforms and all these things, right? And they say, how nice this Jewish girl walks. Who's was walking. So she started to walk even nicer. She heard the compliments. So she started to walk, I don't know what it means to walk nicer. You know? Use your your head. So she started to walk even nicer. Nicer, I mean, negative. And uh, from that moment on, Hashem said, ah, yeah, you walk in the street for the guys to look at you, and when they give you a compliment, you feel good about it. What was their end? Prostitution house. You know, (laughs) imagine if they see the the way the women dress today. (laughs) They would erase it from the Gemara, say, hey, hey, don't embarrass us. We're going to write these things. One day there's going to be a million girls walking naked on the street, Tel Aviv, Batyam, Ruishon, Hulon, Haifa. The streets are full of naked people. We're going to write that she walked a little bit nicer for the goyim to look at her. For that, she ended in a prostitution home. So why am I bringing you this story? Maybe it's not wise to even read it. The answer is there's only one positive thing here for us to take, to teach us how strict is the judgment. That's it. That's all. You get the point here. A woman, a daughter of the Holy Rabbi, one of the biggest ever lived. We're not talking here a rabbi that came out of yeshiva two years ago. You know, this is, uh, we're talking one, one of the greatest in history. So he say he did something that looks very minor in our ears, but the Torah wants to teach you. No, no, my friend. Spelling the name of Hashem is a very big thing. Hashem is not your friend from high school. It's not your friend from the army. You didn't graduate the same college. You know, it's not your roommate. Hashem is Hashem. And when you say Hashem, you have to faint. That's really the truth. There were people only one generation ago. That they, they had moments that when think about Hashem, they'll faint right away. Just from the from the... For, wow, I did something wrong. Wow, Hashem is looking. I couldn't take it. So what's happening here? So the wife did not stop him from the scene. She's guilty as him. And the daughter was walking in the street in front of the goyim, the soldiers, and they gave her a compliment, and she felt great about it. She ended up in the most cruel punishment you can give a kosher woman, even a non-kosher woman. It's very something very interesting is going on here. There are women in the world today that are very, very dirty lifestyle. They make scenes with guys. you know. They make such horrible, not modest scenes that there's no words even to describe the way they live. And then one day they get raped and it destroys their life. They can't function anymore, they can't get married, they can't go on a date with a guy. They're very depressed and in the end they kill themselves. It's very hard to understand how can it be. Every day she goes and getting raped willingly by somebody else that the, by the next morning she doesn't even remember who he was, right? And all of a sudden one person raped her and now she becomes depressed and she wants to get killed. I never found the answer to this question. If a woman is very, very modest, she doesn't let anyone touch her, she's very, very strict about it, and if a guy holds her hand, she doesn't sleep a week from, that, from this problem with modesty. And then she got raped and I understand why she's destroyed. Because for her, it's the end of the world. If a girl is giving herself for nothing, everywhere she goes, like so many millions out there, so I don't understand why I destroyed them mentally when they got raped. Anyway, if you wouldn't get raped, five minutes later, she would do it with somebody else, another scene. It's very hard to understand how does it work. I guess there's something here we don't understand, the psychology here. But it's really, really hard. But this girl, for her to pull her by the prostitution arms, you know what the punishment is? Of course, you have to cut her throat. She cannot uh, let one of them touch her. This was very bad, very bad punishment. For what? She didn't dress with bikini on a beach. She walked with mother's clothes. And they gave her a compliment how she walked. Not that she's a model in some fashion show or in a dirty movie. She, you know, it's a, a woman like this, you have hundreds of religious women like this walk like this in the street here. Just for us to understand how strict is the judgment here. And when they took them, they say, Hashem, you are 100% right, we deserve it. Today, a person deserves a million times worse. One little thing happened to him, a ticket, for one week he's upset at Hashem. Ah, Hashem, I don't understand, what does he want from me? You know, I learn Torah one hour a month. I, <laughs> I give two dollars a month. Dakar. What does he want from me? So uh, I get this ticket now. Finally, I came to shul, I woke up, I killed myself. I went to sleep last night, 10 o'clock. I woke up 10 o'clock in the morning. You know what it is for me to wake up 10 o'clock? It's such a sacrifice. I come to the shul, they tow my car. What's going on here? <laughs> These people made one tiny scene. Tiny, tiny, very tiny. We do it every five minutes, these scenes. And I took them to the cruelest debt and to the worst punishment for the girl. And they say, Hashem, you are 100% righteous. Lecha You have the justice and we have the shame. You understand? Ai, 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 ai. The Gemara says... There are some mitzvot that a person dash be kevav. You know what means dash be kevav? When you walk in the street, you step on things. If the things were important, you wouldn't step on it, right? If you see a tehillim book on the floor, you step on it? No, you pick it up. You see tefillin on the floor? right way, you keep, you pick it up, you kiss it. You see a piece of paper? You step over it. It's nothing. There's no use for it. Sand? You step over it. Someone threw a cigarette? You step over it. it doesn't bother you. Some mitzvot, unfortunately, because of the ignorance of the people, became like this, like the garbage on the street for them, that they step over it and disrespect the mitzvot. They don't know that this mitzvot would turn the entire judgment in Olam against them. Accumulation of all these little mitzvot, what we call not the most important, you accumulate them, and they can turn everything against you to the negative in the end. You do Shabbat, you do Tfilin, you do Tfilah, you do kasher, you do the big things, but the little things. Maim you know, this, that, bracha, maybe no kavana, you forgot, you didn't wash, you did wash, you miss kriyat here and there. You think, ah, compared to what I do, it's no big deal. You put them together as a very big mountain that turned the scale to the negative side. Rabbi Osi Bar-Kisma became sick. Rabbi Hanina ben Tardion went to visit him. He said to him, Hanina, Hanina, don't you know that Hashem put this kingdom of the Romans to control Israel and destroy the temple, to burn the temple, to kill the righteous people, and they make us so many problems, and they're still strong and powerful. Why do you start with them? Didn't you hear that they said not to teach Torah on the streets, to the public, on the streets? How, how people love Torah? The rabbi comes standing in the middle of Main Street and begins to talk Torah. Five minutes later, a hundred people around him. In the street! You know? Today, they offer them heat, air-condition, chairs, fruits, drinks, hot tea, beautiful thing. Rabbi, once in a while, I come. On the street, people stand like this, cold, hot, doesn't matter. Oh, somebody said, the Torah, right away they come. Gathering people. He has the Torah and he reads from it to the people in the street. So he answered him, They'll have mercy from heaven. He said to him, I'm coming to tell you words of wisdom, and this is the answer you're giving me. I wonder if your end will not be that you're going to be burned holding a Sefer Torah in your hand when they burn you. Imagine a rabbi speak to somebody like this today. That would be the end of his career. It's fanatic, crazy, mishugah. Don't Don't listen to him. Don't talk to him. <laughs> This is one of the big, two of the biggest rabbis in the world. One Gdolador said to the other Gdolador, I said, Why are you teaching on the streets? You have to hide when you teach Torah. Why are you playing with fire? You're playing with fire. They make a law, you're not allowed to learn Torah. Learn in a basement, quietly. People come from, you know, they check, they go in, and they learn. Now, don't, don't dismiss Torah, of course, cannot live one day without the Torah. But why are you doing it in front of their face? The, the police, the Romans, they walk in the street. They see all the Jews learning Torah. You will bring a tragedy to us. So he told, to him, he told him, they'll have a mercy on us from heaven. So he said to him, Rabbi, since you gave me such an end, you describe my end like this, that I'll get burned with a sefer Torah in my hand, at least tell me what's going to be with my Olam haba." Okay, after they me like He knew already, that's a dead sentence. He knew once it came out of his mouth, he knew for sure that's the way he's going to die. Because when these people said something, it was the end of the story. So he said, Tell me there's a great mitzvah that you did. <laughs> he just told him, I'm teaching, to, I mean, you teach Torah to the whole world in the street, he said, tell me a, a mitzvah that you did that I want to see how your olam haba is going to be, how your next world would look. So he, tell, he told him, I had mana, money of Purim got mixed with a different money and I gave it all to the poor people. It says, Baruch Hashem I said to him, he said, May I be with you and may you be with me, which means we'll you're good for a Few days later, Rabbi Yossi Bar Kisma, you know, he passed away. As I told you, he was sick, Rabbi Khanina came to visit him. So they went to make a eulogy to Rabbi Yossi Bar Kisma, and when they came back, they saw Rabbi Hanina ben Tardion sitting and teaching Torah in the street again, with many people around him. And he holds the Sefer Torah, and the Romans caught him in the middle of the shiur. They caught him, they brought brought the Sefer Torah, you know how the Sefer Torah, the scroll, they rolled the Sefer Torah around him. It was covered with the Sefer Torah. And they put they took uh, straws, you know, to burn, they stuffed him with straws inside, they lit it, and they put cuttings, pieces of cottons full of water, and they threw inside that it would make the water not burn very fast. There will be some resistance. Instead of ten minutes the fire should be, it will be now twenty minutes to make him suffer even more, you know? And they put it around his heart. So they covered him with cotton full of water, and they put the straw and the Sefer Torah around, and they lead it. His daughter was standing over there. She said, Abba, I'm gonna stand here and see it now when they light the fire. He said, If it wouldn't happen to me, I would be very worried. I would be very worried. Now when I'm burning and the Sefer Torah is in my hand, I'm 100% peaceful. If they take away the Sefer Torah and burn me, then I know I'm a sinner. I did something wrong, I pay for my sins. But now when a pure Sefer Torah is burning with me together, I know it's a decree, that's it. So I'm now worried, don't worry, you should also now be worried. The one who will punish them for burning his Torah will also punish them for burning me. So, you know. So they told him, as the fire started, his student, I'm reading you one of the, one of the, I don't know, the most bombastic marot you can ever find. You can learn a year just about this page alone. There's many, many articles were written about it. But listen to what's going on here. His students from this yeshiva are standing around and watching it. And guess what? They ask him, Rabbi, what do you see? He's half burned already. Every other person screams, Ah, oh, fire! Sh'ma Israel, And die. They now have a, a learning with him. They want to take advantage on the situation. Look at the level of the people. Every other person will fall on the floor, cry, scream. No, my Rabbi is going on fire. They jump into the fire with him. some of them, today. But over here, they ask him, Rabbi, what do you see? What do you see? He's saying, I see the letters that are on the Sefer Torah are flying up. One by one, you see letters are going high. It says the Goy, the Roman, that was burning him with the torch, that's his job, you know? His name was Clistaniro. Clistaniro. Maybe that's the title of the one who burns people. Clistaniro. Clistaniro. that's his name. Rabbi, if I'm going to make the torch, with much more fire and burn in more places quickly. He says, "Would you take me with you to heaven?" The boy asked, "Do you take me with you to heaven?" a young Roman soldier. He said to him, "Yes." He said to him, "No, but I want you to swear to me. Don't just tell me yes. Swear to me." He swore to him. He swore to him, right away he put the fire ten times higher, and took away the cotton pieces from inside, the ones who were not burning because they soaked with water, and jumped into the Sefer Torah with him. You know, he took the curtains out, so there was space. Sefer Torah, let's say it's like this, right from the floor, that's about three feet, let's say. So he jumped in, jumped into the fire, hugged him together, and they both got burned. The Rabbi and the Roman Goy. The Gemara says there was an announcement in heaven. Rabbi Hanina ben Tardion, the Rabbi, and Klisteniro are welcome to the life of eternity. Rabbi Uda Nasir was standing there crying, just like the Gemara before. It says some people walk all their life to go to heaven, and some people get it in one hour. Speaking again against the, about this goy. so we had Ktia Bar Shalom one hour made it. This guy Klisteniro made it in one hour. What a smart guy! Think about it. Ah conversion, come next year, come again, come again until he become, until he learns Hebrew, until he learns mitzvot, twenty years, hard work, so much aggravation, embarrassment, where, where are you from? Show us your paper, who knows you real convert? Oh one hour, jump into the pool, finished. Don't have all this headache. I hope the, uh, some of the goyim won't burn tomorrow. Won't run to burn. So rabbi, instead of 20 years until I become a, a righteous Jew, I might as well see a rabbi, I don't know, in a terrorist attack. I say, take me with you, I jump. Don't rush. Buria, the wife of rabbi Meir, she was the uh, daughter of this rabbi Hanina ben Tardion. She's his daughter. She said to her husband, they put my sister in a prostitution home. Remember? Him, his wife, got killed. And and, uh, the daughter, they put her in a prostitution house. She said to him, you sitting and learning Torah and my sister is in a prostitution home. Run quickly and release her. So he ran quickly. He took a bag with dinars gold coin, and ran quickly over there where this prostitution home is. He said to himself, Hashem, if somebody already touched her, I don't save her. If they didn't touch her yet, I save her with his money. You know, so they went there. No, actually, I should be more precise. He said to Hashem, if if somebody touched her, don't make me a miracle. I don't want to use my merits. On on her, if she was already making a sin, but if nobody touch her, make the miracle for me. Uh, every miracle that Hashem does for you, you take away from your schariot, from your reward. So then I'm giving, I'm sacrificing my merit. So he went there. He saw the the Roman soldier standing in a gate with his weapon. So he said to him, uh, Can you show me the girls? Of course, he pretends. Uh, you know, he comes in. So he said to him, yeah, we have this, we have this, and he sees his sister-in-law. He said, I want her. So I go in, they close the door, he comes in. And now she doesn't know who he is, because he, he made a custom, covers himself. So he, she said to him, I'm very sorry, I'm in the middle of my period. I cannot have uh, customers right now. So he said, oh, smart, smart girl my wife has, smart sister. Probably she said to everyone, and in a, what we learned from here, that even the Goim, these murderer Romans, two thousand years ago, wouldn't touch a woman when she's not clean. So, she, so he said, I guess nobody touch her. It's worth it for me to save her. He goes out to the Roman guy. He say to him here, look, look how much gold. I wanna take this girl with me. Don't leave her. I wanna take her. I like her. Let me take her. Let me buy her. So the soldier told him, what is this gold gonna help me? When my supervisor is going to come, you see, one of the girls is missing, he'll chop my head off. Why are you giving me all this money? He said, no, no, no. I have a way for you to get saved. He said, what? He said, when they come to kill you, just mention my name three times, and nobody can touch you. <laughs> so, so the go. He, he liked the joke. Ah, you're crazy. He said, no, no. You just say, Eloha de Rabbi Meir Aneni. The God of Rabbi Meir, answer me three times, nobody will touch you. So they go, said, Rabbi, give us a break. I got it, I got it, who you are now. I don't want. So he said to him, you see that wild dog over there? There was a big dog. They have dogs over there. He's tied to the fence. He said, release the dog. Let the dog attack me. So he said to him, as soon as I untie the leash, in one minute, the dog will eat you, swallow you alive. You know what crazy dog this one is? He said, that's why I'm telling you, release him. Release the dog, don't worry. You sure? Yeah, release the dog. So he released the dog, the dog runs. It's anti Semite, the dog. (laughs) (laughs) He runs, (laughs) about to kill him, you know. So Rabbi Meir said three times, Elohade Meir, aneni, Elohade Meir, aneni, Elohade Meir, aneni. The dog came, fell on the floor, bowed down. There was no remote control like the postman, you know, they press and the dog falls down. The guy saw this. He couldn't believe it. He said, how can it be? This dog is trying to kill every every stranger who comes. He said, you see, I told you it's working. Take the money. You'll be a rich man. Gave him a lot of money. He said, "Okay, you can take care. And that's how he saved her. And she got saved. Why do you think she got saved? Remember, this is the girl who walked nicely on the street. And they gave her a compliment. Because she said, Hashem, you are right, and I was wrong. What happened if she would say Hashem? You exaggerate. All my life I was modest, I didn't make a scene. Big deal, I walked in the street in front of the guys. They gave me a compliment. I'm a woman, Ah, They, you know, I need some confidence. What's the problem? I got a compliment. No, that's not how she talked. She said, Hashem, you're right. I deserve this end. Think about it, to be in a prostitution home. And in the end, she got saved, and nobody ever touched her. So the Gemara continued. The Gemara continue. says like this, Oh, that's very good for us, this Gemara. Every joker. Joker likes all the time to laugh, make fun at people, laughing, you know, making jokes. His attention is by being the joker of the class. The more clown you are, the more suffering you have in your life. Check the jokers, how much they suffer between one joke to another. You know, all these comedians. Where do we learn it? Isaiah 28, Yeshaya 28. You know, the mosrechem, it's like the cord that held the person, limits him. He said, the more jokes, it mean let's, clown. The more clown you be, the more the cords that are holding you down will become stronger and stronger. It's a verse, clear verse. The Gemara say, Rabbi say to the rabbis, Bematuta please, I'm begging you, it Don't make too many jokes. Don't be clowns all the time. Want to laugh, because many much suffering will come to you. Rav Ktina say not only suffering, the parnasa. The person doesn't make enough living, not enough money, lose some of his money. Rabbi Levi say, his end is going to Geh'enom. Lo aleinu. Rabbi Oshaya say, kol not only a clown, a proud person also ended up in Geh'enom. Rabbi Chanilai say, kol ha all the clowns and the jokers who doesn't have a grind, a gr- one gram of brain in their head, they're only smart when it comes to laugh at people. gorem klaya laolam making damages to the world. Amar Rabbi Elazar, it's very difficult. Starts with suffering, ending with damages to the world. Rabbi Shimon, Ben Fazi, say, how lucky is a person who never went to the theater and to the circus, and did not sit with all the clowns together. This 2,000 years ago. What circus? The Romans, they build bridges, theater, Broadway, Yankee Stadium, all these things. Concerts, tennis shows. What's the problem, even if the show is kosher? Besides the fact that it is a waste of time, that you can earn so many mitzvot in that time, sitting with the people there. What kind of people sitting around you? Madest? Of course not. You go to the stadium, half of them smoke drugs. Drugs and beer and cursing, and who knows what. Right? And if it's a concert, all the not modest girl dancing and a lot of scenes are being done in front of your eyes, and then you want to be close to God, oh my, I'm religious. So wait, when I go to the stadium, I put my baseball hat. I don't make Oh, chilul HaShem. It's important. But it's not the only scene. There's other scenes being there. It's Moshev LeTzim. If 2000 years ago, when the people were so modest. It was a horrible place to go, to the theater. Imagine today. All the actresses, everyone is naked, everyone is, who knows what. What kind of a kosher Jew can enter these places? You hear sometimes, oh, I'm modern. a am modern orthodox. I'm not strict. Modern, what, well, you made yourself a title that now you can go to the, to the Manhattan, to the film, to watch all these dirty films, or you have uh, a television that you watch all these shows, all the cursing, F this, F this, cursing this, cursing that, shooting, that, murdering, slaughtering, chopping. What is this? This and Torah goes together. This is, by the way, how the book of Tehillim starts. From all the things that King David had to say, first verse, how lucky is a person they didn't go to these clowns, where the clowns are. Clowns, people are not serious. That's really the right word. Yeah, Maybe a person may say, since I never went to a theater and to a circus, uh, so I'm allowed to sleep. Instead of going now, I was supposed to go to the circus. My friends went. So I I didn't go. Baruch Hashem, I I fight against my evil inclination, and I did not go. So what should I do? I go to sleep. I'm righteous. My friends went to the circus, to the theater, to see something not good. And I'm going to go to sleep. The answer is not enough, my friend, no. One thing is you didn't go to these filthy places very good. The second thing is, since you didn't go there, you might as well complete the mitzvah, run quickly, to betamidrash to learn Torah. Kiim beTorat Hashem yegei Where do we learn it from? The first verse in Tehillim. How lucky are the people who did not do A B C what's D? seeding bemoshav le'tsim. And what's the rest of the verse? Kiim not only did they didn't go to those bad places, they went after the Torah of Hashem, Torah Hashem in Torah One guy, his wife went to his wife went to a show. Well, twice a year, she goes on a show to buy some things for the store, and he's a tzaddik, he's learning in Nishiva. So twice a year, he has to sit in a store for a few days until his wife will return from her trip. That's how they make their living. So he comes to the store, and from morning to night. He reads tehillim, And what does he ask from Hashem before and after he reads Teilim? Who knows? If your wife takes you out of the yeshiva twice a year, for four days, let's say, then you, have to, you cannot go to the yeshiva. I tell the Rosh Yeshiva, Rabbi, and that date, from that date, that's our parnasa. My wife goes, I have to replace her in a store. So he said, OK, give you a few days off. You go, you sit in a store. What do you do? when you go to open your wife's store. What do you do over there? Today, a person from Yeshiva who goes and sits in the store, whatever they sell, materials, whatever. What does he do? Pray that his wife will return safely, nobody will rob her, many customers will come, he'll make a lot of money, maybe on the next trip she doesn't have to go. What was he praying for? Hashem, I'm begging you, don't make any customer come in. That's what he was praying for. (laughs) You like it, Gabi. huh? Maybe we should learn something here. Why? Every customer is 10 minutes waste of time. I want to learn Torah. Customers. The money comes from the customers. The money comes from Hashem. Hashem wants to send it through the customer. Fine. He wants to send it somewhere else. Fine. He has many ways to send it. I want to learn Torah. That's all. I don't care, this, that. Sometimes people think, if I won't take the job, but I'm going to lose money. I'm going to lose money. The answer is no. Whatever money you're supposed to make, Hashem must give it to you. That was the Rosh Hashanah decision. This, are you're going to make. It's up to, up to you what you want to do. You want to go and kill yourself and make the money, or you want to sit and learn Torah, and you still make the same money. Nobody that gave up going to work for mitzvot is able to lose a penny. That's what people don't get. So you have to understand. All you have to know, Hashem, I know the Parnassah comes from you. And I want to only be busy with your Torah and mitzvot. And you find a way out to send me the money. There's many ways. I told you once the story about the guy from Switzerland, no? Huh? You know that story or no? One guy has 14 kids in Switzerland. True story. It's not even old. It's maybe 15, 20 years ago, this story. So his wife, working a little bit, and they support the family. They live very simple. And he goes to Yeshiva all his life. Oh, he has one kid, another kid, a girl, a boy, a girl, a boy, 14. Now the oldest one is about to get married. He's 18, 19, whatever. So they have to marry him. So the wife said to him, okay, up to now we live by a miracle. In last minute, Hashem gave us money from here, from there. Somehow we survived. Now we need, what do you need? Minimum $50,000. You want to marry your son, you know? And if you're Bukharian, you need $500,000, just the wedding, you know? So let's say you're not Bukharian. You do a simple thing, you know? A little piece of chicken, some soup, you know, whatever. No problem. The, the sweet uh, cucumbers. You know, two or three pickles on the table. No, still cost you all together. We help them some furniture, whatever. Maybe car, a lousy car from the auction. You need about fifty thousand dollars. No. You know what? Make it thirty. Where is an avrech from the yeshiva? Is gonna get it overnight. The wedding is in a month. So the wife comes to me and say, maybe you do something. You know, you take a break and you try to go and make some money. You know, you talk to people, maybe they'll help us out, whatever, something, let's do some efforts. So he said to her, I can do that, but between me and you. Logically, anyway, there's no way to make that much money in such short period of time. And up to now, all the money we ever made was anyway by a clear miracle. So what makes you think that Hashem will stop making the miracles for us? Now he has to send us a little bit more than the average, Let's sit and wait for the salvation of Hashem. Well, I'm going to continue to learn Torah. You do your efforts, and that's it. A few days passed by, they got an official letter from the court of Switzerland. The court. They got very nervous. Wow, court, what do we have to do with the court? Who knows what happened? They opened the thing, you are invited to come to the court on that date for a meeting with the judge, such and such. Poor guy, it doesn't. It's not America. Jury duty. You come, you say no English, and they let you go. You know, it's, not, it's different worlds, You know, he comes to the court over there, and uh, he comes in, and uh, you see, you know, all these uh, Swiss Swiss people is like German, very like serious people. You know, he comes over there. So he says, uh, yes, you call me. Here is my ID. Here is my invitation. Say, so, hey, yeah, wait for your turn. You. Then he comes in front of the judge, and he says, judge, I don't really know why I'm here. He said, oh, are you the guy. Congratulations. It's your lucky day. He said, what? He says, you just became the richest guy in Switzerland. So he thought, it's a joke. But no, who, what court is going to waste time to invite a person to make a joke? He, he almost fainted. <laughs> so, so he said to the judge, I don't understand, your Honor. So he said, you know Mr. such and such? He said, no. You don't know him? He's the richest guy in Europe. What? He has hundreds of hotels and real estates. He just passed away, and he wrote in his will that since he has no children, all his wealth has to go to the biggest family in Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true story. And we checked the entire city. No one in Switzerland has more than two kids and a dog. <laughs> or sometimes two dogs and a kid. You know? So you, we, we couldn't believe. You have 14 kids? How did you do it? It became a party in a court, you know? How did you do it? Mazal tov. Ah, became the richest guy. When Hashem wants, he need to, you know, people don't get it. That's the problem. That we hear it, we understand it's logical, because we know Hashem can do whatever he wants. When it comes to, to everyday life, we're not always living according to it. But I know a few people who live according to it, 100%. And you should see how they live. It's interesting. They don't, they don't even know how much money they have. They don't count. They don't count. They don't care. Say, here, I put the money in a box, say to his wife, you just take what you need. <laughs> And the back somehow is always getting full. Why? When you have full full faith, things working out beautiful. So, you know, speaking about the clowns, I used to, my father used to have a friend many years ago. You know, when they used to live close, then they moved. But as long as they live not far, they used to be friends. We had a son that was a real let, a real clown. And this clown, is the worst kind of clown. Some clowns telling jokes. If the jokes are not dirty, no, no problem. Usually it's dirty jokes, then it becomes a sin. Sometimes it's Lashon Hara. Jokes are dangerous. One thing leads to another. The next thing you make a Lashon Hara about half a million Jews. You tell the joke about them, and now you go and find them to apologize for what you made them a bad reputation in a joke. It's, It's dangerous. But we are not talking this kind of jokes right now. He likes to make the worst kind of jokes. He likes to find funny people, people with funny faces, and laugh at them nonstop. That is satisfaction, to find weird faces and to laugh all night. Now, where do you find people? In weddings. Now, weddings, usually, you have whiskey on the table, you drink two or three lechaim. Then, your bad habits become much worse. Everything grows, right? So what happens if you're generous, if usually you give $50 to the poor, after a few shots of whiskey, you give $100. If you're, if you're laughing at a person half an hour, with the whiskey, it becomes two hours. So it's expanding the problem. So he say to another clown, another clown, but also somehow related to the family, they both sit together and drink, and then they go hunting in the place. They have to find a place, a person, that they don't, you know, they don't like how he looks, and they begin to laugh at him. Look at his nose, look at his ears, look at his this, look at his head, look at his belly, whatever the case is. So one time, the young guy, he said to him, I'm going to look around. Now, it, it sounds like a stupid joke, but it's 100% happened exactly. It happened many times, and I'm telling you one specific time that it happened. So, he goes around, and then he found somebody really funny. So he runs to him, he says, Danny, Danny, you never saw such a strange face in your whole life. Oh, he gives all the, the, the bad description that you can think. His eyes like this, his nose, is this, that. He's saying, no, the whole package, it's a package deal. Everything in one person. <laughs> So yeah, this guy got up, like like he he said, I found diamonds on the street. He runs after him, where, where? He said, here, go over there, make a right. He makes a right. He said, here. So this guy done, he said, you fool. It's my father. (laughs) (laughs) That was his father. Now. You see, they were not clever enough to realize that Hashem sent them a strong message. The pain that he felt that he said all these things on the way, the weirdest, the, 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 the ugliest, this, about his father, the entire way, until they found him, he kept telling him, he's like this, he's like this, he's like this. Yeah. Now he's thinking, wow, what a juicy person. And then he's, he see that his own father should have made him realize and stop. Until today, nothing has changed. Just the other day, there was a wedding. One old man wanted to to take his shoes off. You know the old people, the shoes is tight sometimes on the legs, so they take it off under the table, so, so they found out. So they went and got cucumbers and they pushed it into his legs <laughs> into his shoes, and then this old man is like nine years old, you know, so he comes to her he said to his wife. Why my legs don't go into the head? <laughs> and they're laughing like crazy. He doesn't understand. He's an old man. Nothing is changed with these clowns. You understand? So I, at the end, they go to Gehenno. What do you think? This, this laughing is very expensive laughing. Very expensive laughing. Malacham avet. oh, now it's something really scary. How does the angel of death look? There's one angel that is in charge of the Satan, of all the evil inclination, of all the negative in the world. Let's call Mave, the angel of death. Looking at his image is huge from the bottom to the top, and all you see is eyes. All over big eyes. In a time of the death of the person. He gets the note which soul to take from what body, where, where, where is the person? Where is it gonna be? What time to the minute to the second? And then he goes over there, and he has, he stands above the person. It's moments before the person die, he looks up and he begins to see it, and becomes bigger and bigger by the second. Then he has a big sword that he comes with a drop, very bitter drop in the edge of the sword. And he comes, once the person sees him, he gets so scared, so he opens automatically his mouth and he puts the drop inside his mouth. And that drop takes away the soul. He takes the soul with the sword, but that drop is what makes the dead people smell. Because why a a bad person, why a dead person smell? Why? Why? a minute ago, he had the same body. Everything is there. Everything is in his body. Everything, the same thing. Same eyes, same mouth, same everything. His body is full of air. Just because the heart is not moving and the blood is not flowing, you know, what, what makes him smell that two, three hours later you come? It's a horrible smell. The answer is this it makes the body smell and the face starting to lose, to change color. The Gemara say, What's really the sin of Adam and Eve? Besides the story eating from the forbidden fruit and all that, the truth is that the snake, there are two kinds of snakes. You should know, many people make this mistake, and I get this question a lot. There are two kinds of snakes. There's the snakes that we see in nature all over the world. They're crawling, they're climbing on the trees. This is the snakes that we know today. But the first snake was completely different. He looked more like the crocodile that has legs, but they had much more legs than four. Many, many legs. And the snake was going, and the snake was the first, Kadmoni, the ancient snake that's described in the Torah, was actually talking, talking. And he came to Chava and he said, from the time you eat from the fruit, uh, he, he said to her, why are you, uh, you not touching this tree? She said, God said not allowed to touch it. So he pushed her on a tree. So see, see? You touch the tree and nothing happened to you. But God said not to eat from the fruit, not, not to touch the fruit. But he confused her. And then he made her eat. She convinced Adam to eat. And until today, we suffer. Everyone in the world suffers because of that incident. When I say suffer, means all the ladies who give birth and scream and suffer nine months. This is from that scene, all over the world, for, 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 for almost 6,000 years. And all men who have to work, even the wealthy people, believe me, they still have a lot of headache. Headache, problems, accidents at work, this guy quit, this one this, the competitor, the IRS. A lot of headache. There's no really peace of mind. This is all because of the sin of this. uh, The person has to work so hard and to struggle so much. But really, according to Kabbalah, what was really the sin here? That the snake saw Adam and Eve having relation, and he got very, very excited for her. He had desire for her. And you should know, until this moment, snakes have desire for women, until this moment. And the Gemara gives an example. This was only re- written 2,000 years ago, you know, thousands of years after the, the ancient snake. The Gemara says, if a snake runs after a woman to attack her, he follows her. She has to take her top clothes, that she has a coat or a jacket, whatever it is, and throw it to the side. Because he goes by smell. They don't see. They go by smell. So once he goes he smelled the truck. The smell is, is much, much, much stronger than a human being. Every every step you make on the floor, you leave some impression, so they smell it and that's how they know how to come. So if she throws her jacket somewhere, as soon as he comes, it confuses him, he goes after that and he goes around the clothes and stick to the clothes and that's it. The Gemara say, what happens if a woman sleeps and in the old days snakes used to come into the house? They didn't have fancy houses like today. In the cities, used to be in forests. Snakes are coming. Scorpions. What does she do? Because snakes are going by the smell of the woman. He won't go to the snake of the of the man unless if it's a snake from San Francisco. But if it's a snake, (laughs) normal snake, so he goes to the woman. You know, (laughs) so so he goes after the smell of the woman. So what should she do? She should put the four legs of her bed in buckets full of water. Because once he arrived to the bed, this is the things that touch the floor, the water confuses him. He cannot smell anymore. Or if he runs after her and she cannot take her clothes, she's in front of people, whatever, if there are water over there, right away to run into the water. Bottom line, the snake have desire for the women, and it didn't stop this desire. So now, and also when after, after God cares the snakes, everything they eat tastes like sand. And it's very interesting because one I saw in one book that somebody made an experiment. He took a rat and he took another rat. Two rats. One rat he put for the snake in the aquarium that he is. He put one rat over here. And then he took one rat and took a diaper of a baby. But they're all diapers when people used to do laundry too. You know, before most of you were born. So they had diapers that they used to go to the laundry every day. They they rinse it, whatever. So they took an, a clean diaper, normal diaper, and wrapped the rat completely inside that diaper, and they put both of them, and he went and ate the one with the diaper. So who wants to eat diaper? It doesn't matter. He doesn't feel the difference. You understand? It's very interesting. So you know. So they still have the scales. And also the curse is that they always attack the person because they're under the ground, they come, they sting you in the a, in a bottom of the feet, you know? And that's what they normally do. So all the things that we see today is written in the Torah after the first scene. So Negmara say that really in the end, the snake raped Hava. Actually made a scene with her. This is the, the secret here. And it made... Very big poison inside the person, inside the person since she gave birth, so it's affected her, you know, like spirituality in a very bad way. Because he is, he was like a representative of the Satan, this ancient snake, and I know this story. This story is uh, very, very deep. There's a lot more to say, but that field came out from the Jewish nation in Mount Sinai. When the Jews received the Torah, all the poison that the snake put by Chava came out, and they got purified from this negative that he put inside of her. The Gemara say, to respect your parents, to respect your father, how far does it get? What does it mean to respect? To tell them good morning, not to interfere with what they say, not to sit in their chair, to give them money, Wow, what does it mean to respect them? The Gemara say, we have to learn it from a goy in the city of Ashkelon. Ashkelon today, every day they shoot rockets on the people in Ashkelon. It's about 10 minutes, 20 minutes south from Tel Aviv. Maybe 30 minutes, but not that far. It used to be a goy named Dama Benetina. Dama, that's his name and they sell rubies rubies sapphire, diamonds in 47th street corner of 5th avenue this guy and his father have a place they sell you know precious stone and one time the this bar the gabai of the bet HaMikdash, they realized that one stone fell from the choshen of the kohen the kohen have 12 stones each one worth millions because it's big stones a color stone, each, you know, all kinds of expensive stones, and one fell somehow got lost. So they have to replace it, it's called Yashfeh. I don't really know in, today in English what does it mean, but it's one of the most precious stones. So they go around to check the size of a stone that can fit inside the choshen. The choshen is this board that the Kohen is hanging on his chair, like a necklace, with a board with the 12 tribes listed over there. So one stone is missing, so they go all over, they got to this Goy and say this is what we need and he say yeah i have it say so how much the price they agree on the price and uh, you know and uh, what was the price Shmonim ribo ribo it's 10 10000 so it's 800000 very big price uh, i don't really know exactly today probably today it's m- many millions of dollars but a very heavy price so they said, OK, go get it. We agree on the price. Go get it. So he goes up, and they bring the stone. And he's supposed to bring the stone. Then he comes back, and he said, I don't have it. He said, I cannot give it to you today. I cannot sell it to you today. So they say to him, eh, why? The price is not good. OK, we'll give you extra 10%. Okay, twenty percent more, thirty percent more, hundred percent more, two hundred percent more. They double, they triple the price, they constantly go higher and higher. They're anxious, they must get the stone. It's, the coin must have it without it is a problem. He said, No, no, they don't let him talk, they're so nervous. I said, oh. I said, okay, okay. They go back, say, Well, tomorrow we have to go and double the price again. There's no Maybe today's in a better mood. What? So he went there and he said to them. Oh, I have the stone for you. I'm glad you came. He goes, he brings them the stone here. What? The first price you said in the beginning yesterday. In the meantime, they tripled uh, that few times already. So he said to him, I don't understand. You don't want the high offer that we gave you. You take the lowest offer. What's going on here? He said, no, it wasn't about money. That's the price of the stone. I'm not going to rub you off now. So, you know, I mean, this is robbery. I'm going to take now all this money. So what's the problem? You say, my father was sleeping on the box where we hide the expensive stones. And I didn't want to wake up my father. I don't want to wake him up. <laughs> He's going to lose millions of dollars. Today it doesn't apply because today every father, if you don't wake him up, you'll be dead when he get up. <laughs> but at that time, I guess this guy go- So the Gemara said, learn from this guy. Go- what he did for his father is not even a Jew. He doesn't have this in the seven laws that God gave him. It's true that all the common sense laws applies to the goyim, besides the seven laws. All common sense laws. jonara, gossip, respecting your parents. They are, everything applies to them. Because for that, you don't need Torah. Every normal human being know that you damage another person, then it's a sin. They know it. You don't need Torah for that. Even the non-religious per- people know that to write bad gossip about a person in a newspaper and destroy his life, it's a bad thing. You don't need Torah for it. It's common sense. So what happened to him? The next year, he had a red cow. And they gave him billions, not millions. The amount of how much they gave him for the red cow, wow, how much he made. You understand? So the idea is that we see, first of all, from here, we learned that the goyim are getting rewarded for doing more than the seven laws. Seven laws, they are obligated. But if, they, if, if not, why Hashem gave him a reward? It's not obligated to respect his parents, like in the level of the Torah. But he did it as a goy, and Hashem gave him a huge reward. You understand? So even when you're not obligated, if you do a mitzvah, you still don't lose. For sure, you make something. Even it's not your mitzvah bechlal. When it's a woman, she's not obligated and she does, she gets a reward. When it's a kid before bar mitzvah, he does, he gets a reward. A guy is not obligated and he does for the sake of heaven, he gets a reward. There's no loose situation here. You can only make. The says the philosophers of the Romans they had smart people. They came to the rabbis and say, if your God hates the idols worshippers so much, we hear it, idols worshippers, idols, destroy them, not allowed to enjoy from it, why he doesn't kill them? Why he doesn't clean them from the world? Why he keeps them with all these idols all day and all night? So the, the rabbis told them if they would only worship idols that nobody needs, if it's idols that nobody needs, you're right, he would destroy them and their idols. But now they bow down to the stars, to the moon, to the sun. So what should Hashem do? Destroy the sun? Destroy the moon because some stupid people worship them? So the answer is, Hashem will not destroy the world because of all the fools. The world will continue to go on as usual, and the the fools who made that sins will pay the price. You know, Uh, one person stole seeds, a bunch of seeds, he stole it from his friend and planted it in the ground. According to you, the Roman philosophers, it should not grow because it's stolen. So the answer is, no, the laws of creation applies. Put seeds in the ground, they grow. And the ones who stall will pay the price. You understand? Which means Hashem doesn't interfere with the free choice of the people. If He would interfere with the free choice, then there's no more reward and punishment. So what's the point of the world? The whole reason the world was created is to test people. Now, if every time you tell your son, Look, there is something here and something there. Which one is a mitzvah to eat? Which one is a sin to eat? So the son wants to take the sin, so you hit him. So of course, he's going to do the mitzvah. So then he deserves a reward. And the next day, again, you give him two things. He comes to the negative. You hit him. He say, so the other son says, why are you giving him reward? You did the mitzvah for him, not him. The idea is, this, the test is a test. So. Uh, Hashem says like this, not only these wicked people take a rock and make their God, which they make an idol from it, in public, which means they're also bothering me, and they're forcing me to do things that I don't want to do, and for that they're going to get another punishment. One philosopher asked Rabban Gamliel. It says in the Torah that your God is a zealous fire. He doesn't take from anyone when it needs to. He burns. Why? He's zealous and angry on the idols worshiper and not on the actual idols. He's really angry at the people. Why in the Amarlo, the, I'll give you a parable. A president that had a son, and that son is raising a dog. And he calls his dog like this, the name of his father Itzik. Come, Itzik. His father's name Itzik. He calls his dog Itzik. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, Somebody tell him, How do I know you're going to give me back the money you borrow? He says, I swear in the life of Itzik. <laughs> Which Itzik? His father or his dog? He doesn't know. When the father hears, who is he getting angry? At his son or at the dog, Itzik? <laughs> at the son, no? What are you suggesting? That he should get angry at the poor dog? Somebody made an idol. What the idol knows? It's a piece of garbage. What is it? Why should Hashem go against the idols? He should go against the people. Same thing here. He says, One time there was fire in our city, and the entire city got burned. There was a place of idol worshiping who did not get burned. This is like today. Imagine some kind of in Oklahoma, they have a fire, the whole city is burned, and the main church in the middle of town is standing. the fire didn't touch it. Many of the religious uh, um, the priests will make a very juicy lecture out of it. You see? The house of God, J.C, will, did not burn. you know? Wow, what does it show that it's a holy place? Th- this is what happened. So he said to them, he says, "I'll give you another mashal, another parable. A king, human being, <laughs> one country started a war against him. They had problems arguing. They decided to go to war. Who does he fight? The living people or the dead people? He fight against the people laying in a cemetery or against the people who walk and talk and run? Who does he fight? He say he fights with the living people. He said... He say the same thing here. It says like this: the, the Okay, I think that uh, that uh, that part of the gemara got erased from my page, but yeah, well, I don't know how it happened because it repeats the first part twice. Whatever happened here in, a, in PowerPoint, but the finish of the to finish that story. He says, to him, uh, he says to him like this, if the, 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 the place that was made from wood and stone didn't get burned, what's the problem? The place, it's not the problem. The church or the places, the chandelier inside, all the things that they put inside, this is the problem. It's not the problem. It's the people who worship it. So the entire city got burned. What's the point of burning it? Actually, the church is the only thing who didn't make a sin. All everything around it are sinners. This is it. it My common sense. This is the end, probably, of the Gemara. So Baruch Hashem that we concluded it from our memory. So okay, now uh, time is running out. Well, let's just finish this and these five things. There are five things that are mentioned in the Torah that took 12 months. The trial of Dora Mabul, the generation of the flood, Shneem Asar Chodesh. The trial, the punishments of the Egyptians, all the ten flags in Egypt, took 12 months. The suffering of Eov, the prophet, which is a reincarnation of Terach, the father of Abraham, he came back as Eov. He was a very wealthy, healthy, with the family important, and then he started to lose everything. This the entire period that the Satan was giving him hard time took twelve months. In the future, which is going to happen probably in our days, gog Gogu Magog masar Chodesh, the big final war, even though it's gonna take only nine minutes for the whole world to be destroyed, but until they clean and this and all the problems, it takes months to clean the bodies, until the world will be able to start functioning, 12 months. 12 months, everything will be frozen, there's nothing you can do, no money out of the bank, no bank, nobody knows what it is, where the gold, where the diamonds, where this, where all the antique, nobody knows what's going on. So many people are dying, piles of bodies everywhere, it sounds like a no-clear thing. Zachary 14 described it better than me. And uh, the last thing, the, the trial of the people who died, the wicked people, 12 months. 12 months. Mishpat reshaim bageenom, 12 months. is scary, scary, really scary. And uh, the last thing for today, Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua were getting on a boat together. Rabban Gamliel brought pita bread. And Rabbi Oshua brought pita, who made from solet. Solet is not flour. It's, uh, what do you call it? They make the kube with that. Bolger? Not bolger. Samolina. Samolina. Thank you. So, So. no, I, I, I know that the, the Syrians are the champion of the cougar. I looked at you, I, I remember. So, so it says... Uh, so Rabbi Gamliel took bread that was made from Samolina. What's the difference? It lasts much longer. It's lasts much longer. The, uh, you know, so uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Joshua, he brought from Samolina. Then the boat started to get lost in the middle of the ocean. The only place to go from one country to the other, the only transportation was a boat. There's no airplanes, no trains between one country to another. So the only way to go from here to there is on a boat. Now, the boats, they didn't have GPS, campus, all these things that we have today, radar. What did they have? They went by the stars. It's amazing. Think about it. To be a sailor, a captain of the boat, you have to find the way from Israel to, United States, or to, 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 to China, who knows where. People go months on the ocean. They have to find it through the stars. There's no direction in the middle of the ocean. How they found it? Once in a while, they go lost. So they, the boat is going left, going right. You see, the captain is confused. So they get delayed now. You know. So they now, a few more weeks in the middle of the ocean. So nobody had food left besides Rabbi Oshua that bre- brought bread and made from Samolina. You know? So what happened? So he said to him, Rabban Gamliel, how did you know to bring this kind of bread? How did you know every time we went on a trip together you brought regular pita bread? How did you know this time to bring bread that would last months or whatever, weeks? So he told him like this, there is a star who rise once every 70 years, once every 70 years, and confuse the captains of the boats. You know, I knew that's the time now. He may get us this star. That's why I prepared special bread for be extra in the middle of the ocean. You know, uh, which star is talking about? Ali, Ali, hey, look at my Torah and science. Ali comments, yeah. Hey, look at my Torah and science. I checked from the cyclopedia once every seven years, he comes. The knowledge that they had. I show it in, uh, in my lecture, Torah and Science number two. Or maybe Knowledge of Chazal, but it's in one of the scientific lectures. And he say to him, he says to him, why are you so surprised? He said, you you think I'm smart? You have two students right there on the land, Rabbi Yochanan ben Gudgeda and Rabbi Eliezer ben Chisma, that they know to calculate every drop of the ocean and of the river by measurement. That's how smart they are. And they don't have bread to eat and clothes to wear. And they are in your city that you are the chief rabbi And you never took care of them ever to help them. He used his knowledge about the stars to give it to him. He was the president. Rabban Gamliel was the big hacham, the chief rabbi of of the entire land. So right away, he said, as soon as I get back to the city, I'll right away invite them and give them a good job. So when he came to the land, he sent them an invitation. Come, I want to make you the chief rabbi's under me. They didn't come. He sent them another invitation. I sent you an invitation. How come you're ignoring it? Come. Second time they were embarrassed. They showed up. He said, what do you think? I'm giving you a prize by giving you a job to become the rabbis here in the communities? I'm not giving you a job. I'm making you slaves. What do you think? rabbi is kavod. Only a fool thinks that way. I'm making you the slave of the community. Everyone thinks you owe them. Everyone calls you. Everyone will meet with you. Everyone will have bad things to say about you. Everything you say, they already know what to say. He's too this. He's too lazy. He's too strict. He's not interesting enough. He's this. He's coming late. He doesn't answer my call. Ah, believe me. And today with the internet and the newspaper, forget about it. So he said, I'm giving you a slavery. Don't think it's a prize. You can come. Don't be embarrassed. You understand? And this is it. And that's really the truth. Now, next week is probably one of the most interesting shiurim you don't want to miss. We're going to learn a lot of mystical secrets about health, about life, things that makes you forget, things that make your memory better, things that makes you healthier. Uh, you know, uh, all kinds of things, interesting things, uh, all kinds of symbolic things, like things that it's not logical, it's against logic, but affecting our life for good and bad. Uh, very interesting, sure next week. You don't want to miss it. Be'zerat Hashem, Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen v'Amin.